0: Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. I am recording today's episode of Horror Vanguard on ninety five point eight The Drive. <laughs> this is your host Ash Darrow with the lit crit guy. I feel like ready I... to roll down today's top twenty rock and roll hits. Okay, okay, you need to stop that right now. <laughs> stop what right now? Uh, Cheese yes, man and the yes. pig signing off. <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm just just channeling an alternative dimension where i was born like three decades earlier and i got to be like a local talk radio host or something
1: i would listen to that on my on my drive to work um and i'd be like ha (laughs) he he's just like me as i drive to my office job that i hate
0: Yep. Yeah, sitting around the old water cooler, talking about Juice Man and the pigs' controversial takes on the basketball pick order. That's 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 the life we could be living.
1: Yeah, but but we live in the future where we podcast, um, and you know it's not easy, but somebody's got to do it. God damn it! And it and it may as well this be as
0: it's the scholar's art, you know.
1: <laughs> Hello, everybody. It's uh, it's your horror vanguard for the week. Um, I I'm John. Joined as always by Ash. How you doing, buddy?
0: Um, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. We're talking about a movie that is near and dear to my heart, so very excited. It's
1: um, honestly, it's just kind of brilliant. It's just, uh, it's you know, so, sometimes when we when we get ready for an episode, like we we there are, there are different different vibes are in the air, right? So sometimes it's like. This is something that people think is a bad film, but we're going to get to talk about why it's good. So the vibe is like, yeah. Uh, sometimes it's a film that everyone thinks is good, but it's actually rubbish. And we can be like, oh, we're not mad. We're just disappointed. But sometimes we're just like, ah. Uh, we get to kind of like just relax a little bit. <laughs> hey, um, you know what? We, we've been doing this for a while. We've been doing this for a long time. And if you enjoy and want to support more um. Uh, left-wing film criticism, then please do think about supporting the Patreon, which gets you early access to every episode. It gets you bonus episodes and access to the Discord server as well as a host of other cool things. It is the price of, you know, bass strings that you get on your trip to town. Uh, (laughs) Please, please do think about supporting what we do. We, We would love to put more time into... Research and prep, and be able to expand the show and do more things with it. So, patreon.com/slash horror vanguard is where you can join the HV crypt. But with that, every, out of the way,
0: every new subscription on Patreon allows us to buy more supplies for the film critics we keep imprisoned in the cursed trunk that is a labyrinth in our basement.
1: Indeed. Um, we've got to feed them something. So. <laughs> so. <laughs>
0: and loose handfuls of pine nuts aren't cutting it anymore
1: they're they're really not they don't seem to like the the earthworms i keep throwing down there for some reason so um with that out of the way i think ash it's probably a good idea for you to break down what today's film is all about 2021's hellbender
0: I watched Hellbender in theaters last autumn in a double bill with the folk horror classic Eyes of Fire. The juxtaposition of generations of horror alongside generational conflict situates us in a larger conversation about ways of knowing and the passage of time. Hellbender is visually interested in how we depict the occult on screen and, in that, becomes interested in how we come to states of knowing. The occult in Hellbender occults our relationship to the known. This leads us to an approach that treats horror with the same respect as joy, sorrow, and love. Our arts are more than ready to kneel afore those altars in hopes of being granted wisdom, but horror has its own ways of teaching. These are lessons learned through the shrieking of meaning. Folk horror reminds us that these lessons are not new. They are products of thousands of years of human effort. Thoughts passed down through generations. All acts of learning are a necromancy. The information that flows through time is never as clear as it seems. In fact, no knowing is. As Tariq Goddard and Eugene Thacker put it, there is only a world revealed in its own hiddenness, a world made clearer in its opacity, a revelation of something radically other that is also simply the fragile, tenuous mind registering its own limits. However, these limits are never just our own. We carry the weight of past generations in our thoughts, our actions, and the circumstances that inscribe our life's efforts. In the Eighth Brumaire of Louis Bonaparte, Marx wrote one of his most famous lines. Often only quoted in part, the full text reads Men make their own history, but they do not make it just as they please. They do not make it under circumstances chosen by themselves, but under circumstances directly encountered given and transmitted from the past the tradition of all dead generations weighs like a nightmare on the brain of the living nightmares are hermeneutic for the thoughts of the dead dead generations dead impulses and dead desires bring us hither your sun and your summers and renew our world as of yore you shall teach us your songs new numbers and the things we dreamed not before. Ye in spite of a dreamer who slumbers, and a singer who sings no more. Join us as we discuss Hellbender.
1: Ooh, hoo-hoo. yes. Oh, that was that was really good. That was really, really good. Why, thank um, you. There is a lot... There's a lot in there. I think we can talk about, but let us let us begin as we always do, by traversing through the formalism zone. Zone,
0: zone, 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 zone. zone, zone. So, Hellbender is a movie made by the Adams family. Dun uh, uh. Not that Adams family. This is Toby Poser and uh, Zelda Adams.
1: Uh, yes, just it, it. It is. It is a um, parents, parents and daughters making horror movies, and it is. You know, I I know I've said this before, and I've usually said this about films which are not considered to have kind of critical or technical merit to them, but like, you can make a movie, if you want to, right? If you if you find yourself, if you find yourself ever going, oh, you know what I would I thought. Wouldn't it be cool one day? Wouldn't it be cool to tell this story? Wouldn't it be cool cool to make a movie? Like you can do it. Like this is honestly, this is a kind of lovely uh thing about um about kind of low budget horror is that is its accessibility. Like you can do it, right? You know, if the people who made Birdemic can can do it, look at look at what you can do. (laughs) Look at what you can do when you're willing to put time and thought. No, not necessarily money, but perhaps effort into putting something together like the Adams family do because uh, honestly this is this is there's something kind of really lovely about horror movies being a sort of family business, right?
0: Well, I, I think that in, in a lot of ways, both textually and visually and and like a meta textual level, right and the very creation of this particular film, there's there's something small about the scope that I really enjoyed. There's something intimate about the entire production and creation of this film. Mm-hmm. You 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 really feel a sense of closeness everywhere. You're close to these characters as they're going through it. You you see very intimate moments of their family life, and I I think if you would have tried to make this as as like a Blumhouse presents Hellbender, a twenty-four style Hellbender. There, there would have been it, it would have lost a little bit of that warmth, and I think that that's something that comes from all like kind of indie cinema, right? And not indie as a style, but indie as a, a formalist and, and technological approach, like indie as a relationship to the kind of cinematic industry. There's, you know regardless of anything else that could be in, in like those B movies and indie films, there's a warmth to them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's something deeply charming about this. And, and, and again, like I, I, you know, watch, watch Hellbender and then, you know, just know that like you can do it. (laughs) Like, I feel like that, that's, that's, there's something kind of like wonderfully accessible about this film. Um, like there are a couple of moments where they've clearly um they've clearly called in like or they've uh done like special effects uh, in post-production and probably paid a little bit for that. but like the 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 most intense moment of this film, like the high point of the film right before it wraps, is shot in a dark room with two actors and some fake blood, and like it is so gripping. It shot incredibly like mm-hmm. you could basic you could basically shoot that final scene in like a cupboard in a box room if you light it the right way and it's just incredible. So it's like this this idea of like um, you have to have a certain you know you, it has to be a twenty four it has to be like there has to be money in it like horror is still one of those forms where it can be just like. Uh, there is a bit of a mythos attached to it, like you know, think of the Evil Dead, but like you can, you can still get your friends together and you can still make a movie. You can still get your family together and you can still make a movie.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that, that that's just wonderful, right? It, it gives this the heart that that this kind of the textual content of this film needs. It needs that kind of intimacy in or, in order to kind of pull off the grand feat that we that we witness through the the growth of this movie. But uh, yeah, how, how do we how do we so the, the one one thing that really struck me that when I saw so I saw this movie at a drive in theater, um, you know, around, around about last Halloween. And, and like when 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 uh, we're first introduced to Hellbender, uh, the, the Hellbender is the name of the band that the mother daughter duo has in the movie Hellbender. And, you know, like they they just rock out in their basement. Um, what, what, what did you make of a Hellbender?
1: Uh, God, the music in this rules. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: And again again there's something kind of like that connects back into what I was just saying about horror film as a medium in a way that I think is analogous to like um to bands which is like uh mm-hmm. you know you can just get your friends together you can just you can find a basement you can find a uh, you can find a garage you can like plug in an amp and you can play your your shitty three chord punk songs and, like, that that can be how you start creating art. There's something kind of wonderfully immediate and um, relatively uh, accessible about that. I thought the soundtrack particularly to this film was just so good. It's so good.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and the music they play, too, is really, like... It, it, it's, like, like, the Hellbender band has so much, like, depth to it. If, like, everything in this movie feels lived in, right? And I know a lot of that must speak to the fact that uh, Zelda Adams, who plays uh, the the young woman Izzy, and Toby Poser, who plays a character known as mother, Izzy's mother, um, they're real-life mother and daughter. And mm-hmm. I think that, like, you know, I, I don't know if they actually have a band that they jam together with, but it feels like they must have, right? Like, A hundred percent. They're drawing on so much of a really, like, organic, lived-in experience, you know? You you really feel like you've been invited over to dinner with two hellbenders. (laughs) A hundred percent. It's hard, it's it's weird, but, like, I would describe this folk horror movie as cozy.
1: (laughs) In a way, yes. And I think that brings up a kind of big formal question, which is, like, what kind of film is this? And right, you've already you, you've you're already, you're, you're already said like the the buzzword right? You've already said the buzzword, which is to call this a folk horror film.
0: Yes, we we rang today's secret summoning bell. Uh, the word folk horror. So is Hellbender folk horror? I think it's an interesting conversation to have. What are your thoughts? Um, I think strictly speaking,
1: no. Oh, very strictly speaking, maybe yes. <laughs> you know, if we're going by this idea of the folk horror chain, I think you can absolutely make the case that it is. Um, but generally, folk horror presupposes a community, right? A community of practice that has uh, certain beliefs which are uh, decried as non-normative you know it isn't enough just to be an isolated person there has to be like there has to be like a, a a group involved so i would say if you're going to be super strict and go along with um how they would define folk horror in something like uh woodland's dark which we covered on the show um probably not but at the very least kind of overlapping it's in if there's a venn diagram it's in that kind of intersecting section what do you think?
0: So I, I would say that this is this is definitely folk horror. If we're using Scoville's folk horror chain, right? I I think that the the intimacy of the community that we experience is enough. It's enough to get us there. Um, I would make a more granular distinction, but because we're we're in kind of a horror cinematic moment right now, where, where neo folk horror is is in vogue. It's very popular and it's getting more popular um but i would say that uh hellbender is not neo folk horror this is something different this is taking a different path this isn't this isn't walking the same folk horror path as midsummer for example which i would describe as neo folk horror midsummer is attempting to uh recapture the stylization of british folk horror right it's 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 attempting it to to pull itself into those conversations and into those directions and while Hellbender is definitely drawing on the history of folklore, there's no doubt about that. I would say that it's it's progressing through things differently, and it remains distinct, uh, or, or at least part of a, a distinct lineage that's emerging.
1: So, what else would you include within that lineage?
0: <clears throat> and this this is what I think it gets really interesting here, because when we come up with taxonomies for genre, we we have to build lineages into them, right? You know you can't you can't really be a genre of one. You must interact with some kind of like cinema narrative community of texts, and and the thing the thing that I I find really interesting here is there's kind of like to to kind of like Portman to Mark Fini- Mark Fisher's unfinished introduction to Acid Communism. We've kind of got like an acid folk horror here. This is this is an attempt at envisioning something new, so, so, something beyond the horizon you know, rather than just playing in a pre-established sandbox of pieces, if you will. And one of the things that really, I think, really draws out in this one is the psychedelic, psychedelic elements of Hellbender, right? Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. I, I think that, at least for me, when I was watching this, I, I was seeing connective tissues that could go all the way back to Melies and, and, and progress through uh, Giallo and wind up at this moment with Hellbender, right? This This kind of like, psychedelic horror tradition this this surrealist horror that likes to lean into the occult and the mythological
1: yeah i would agree that it isn't it isn't neo folk horror in in that sense and i would definitely agree that it has quite a lot to do with um giallo um in how it's stylized i think i think the the psychedelia route is absolutely maybe the most kind of productive way of understanding this and films like it Um, so perhaps I can offer a kind of like, I don't know whether you'll find this a bit of a hot take, but would you want to know what I think it's quite arguable? It's kind of cinematic, you know, closest relative is,
0: uh, of course. Yes.
1: Uh, would be something like the contemporary remake of Suspiria.
0: Oh, Ooh. Oh, okay. Please, please continue.
1: Because, again, you have an interest in kind of female subjectivity, in witchcraft, in the psychedelic without the kind of psychodrama of vintage 1970s, early 80s classic giallo. You have the same interest in wildly divergent color palettes from the very mundane to the very kind of like saturated and intense. Uh Obviously, obviously, the Susperia remake is still is still in some ways deeply European, but in a way, this is a kind of like psychedelic transplantation of that cinematic code into the sort of traditions of rural American horror.
0: This uh, what Hellbender really kind of got me thinking of as as a kind of like Americanized version of a field in England.
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 And but but I, I 100% see I ag- where
0: you're coming from.
1: Yeah, I agree in terms of the aesthetics, but I think given its content, you can't ignore the connection to to, to witchcraft and thus to Suspiria.
0: This is a very interesting point to, to to put this in context, and I think that that kind of a lot of a lot of not to not to sidetrack us too much on a conversation with, about. Giallo and Giallo remakes but a lot of Giallo is deeply folk horrific, right? Like this is a point that I'm going to keep bringing up until until I live in a a glorious future where I'd no longer need to. But like genre, genre is best served as a deconstructionist, you know, framework, right? Like Giallo participates heavily in folk traditions. So much Giallo. Has has to do with settings about hauntings and cults and this kind of memory and community. It's it's very much aware. It's it's using the Scoville's folk horror chain, but as as a weapon in the hands of a blacked glove strangler.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Which is why which is why I would connect the kind of the kind of meeting points for this film are the remake of Suspiria and Robert Eggers' The Witch. I think.
0: Oh, totally, yeah.
1: Because Eggers is much more of a historical film, but is still interested in the psychedelic, and Suspiria is 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 psychedelic horror. Um,
0: yeah, and-, and there's the. Oh, I was just going to say really quickly. There's a really good historiography going on inside Hellbender, right? Like this is a really intimate autoethnography, right? Like this is a this is a. It's it's in a lot of ways a really potent self study from both the perspective of. Uh, a a, you know like a a young woman a child who is you know reaching that age where they're they're leaving the proverbial nest as well as a parent who's got anxieties over that it's it's studying that kind of situation and that kind of character growth from both perspectives as well as you know balancing some other issues about gender and class and localization and society and chronic illness
1: yeah absolutely absolutely um One of the other ways in which I think it connects to both Suspiria and to Eggers' film is how it deals with the occult. And I know know that was a kind of formal quality to this that you really liked.
0: Yeah, so this has to be one of my favorite depictions of the occult on screen in a long time. I, I, I put this up there with a field in England and a dark song... And and these other movies that are just just masterful in how they depict the occult, you, you know, like like to that um, Eugene Thacker and Tariq Goddard quote from the Pracy like the whole one of the whole points of occulted knowledge is that you're reaching at a mystery, you mm-hmm. know, you're you're reaching at something that even once you've grasped it, you you can't grasp it. That that's that's kind of the point. These are things that are always opaque. Yeah, you know, like like clarity is not given or achieved, and I think what really interests me about the depiction of the cult here is it's clear that the Hellbenders have rules. There's rules about the type of creature they are, the type of powers they have, the type of magic they practice. You know, they they have grimoires, they have histories, they have traditions. Right? <clears throat> it, it's a very accessible world. However, from from our vantage point looking into their world, it's it's entirely mysterious. You know like like the, the outside of the rule that when a hellbender devours its mother they have their own hellbender child we don't really have access to, to much of the rules about how a hellbender operates and how their magic works and what they're in conversation with and that for me really works like that's what really like takes takes this up a notch uh,
1: yeah because there's no um the film doesn't feel the need to do to kind of do the exposition scene, you know, where you go, well, here's how our magic system works and here are mm-hmm. the rules. Like, because why would you? It would, it would completely kind of fracture mm. the coherence of this isolated existence that they have
0: and and i think i think further and on top of that this is this is a movie about opacity right like this is a movie about the things in our lives that can't be accessed this is a movie about being othered and the other both mm-hmm. in I- intimate spaces and in <clears throat> larger social spaces right like to to kind of like do the harry potter treatment to magic and make everything nice and sparkling clear would have been a disservice to that. It, it would it would have made this too perceptible and too too simple.
1: Yes, yeah. I think uh, you are you are left to reckon with the strangeness of the occult and your own distance from it as as an audience member. And which is which is Ooh, integral absolutely. to the integral to the functioning of the film as a whole because the entire point is that Izzy is like deeply approachable, right? The whole point. The whole reason that the ending has the power that it does is you suddenly realize that you know this uh, this teenage girl who is kind of funny and interesting and seems you know relatively relatively sort of like approachable also has this element within them which is kind of completely inaccessible to you because you don't have that uh, you know the occult literally hidden knowledge that that they do.
0: Oh yeah. Mhm. Well, and that I, I, I think I think it also it, it's, it serves us to to bring us into the perspectives of these characters too, right? Because Izzy has been being raised by mother ignorant of her lineage and and her history and what she even is on like a larger framework. She does not know that she is a hellbender because mother is attempting to hide the truth from her. Mm-hmm. And as as Izzy starts to realize it and put it together, um, you know, we 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 get sequences where like Izzy is is sneaking through her mother's dreams, you know, is is reading the secret grimoire upstairs, is in conversation with spirits or, or demons that we the audience don't even know about, and mother doesn't know about this either. You know, by the time that mother realizes that Izzy has kind of grown into her own, right, accepted herself as a hellbender and her power, uh, mother, it's too late for her. She's trapped. Yeah, you know, and it's yeah, too yeah. late for us the audience cuz we're we realize that this whole time that we've kind of not had the god's eye view of the movie that we've been there with mother, you know, we've been watching this slowly grow.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um you you kind of raised an interesting formal point <laughs> that I want to dig into a little bit more before we get into the film itself, which is what is neo folk horror?
0: I think this is really interesting, right? Especially at this current moment where we're in such a folk horror revival. And I definitely don't mean to be disparaging here. Neo-folk horror isn't necessarily a negative, right? It shouldn't have a negative connotation to it. But I would say that just like when there's any kind of like uptick in a sudden revival, right, of, of particular horrific genres, there are a lot of movies that attempt to clone the styles and formulations of the past. And and do what I would positively describe as attempts at a very faithful homage to bygone aesthetics. Right. Um, again, referencing *Midsummer*, it is a movie that very much uh, wants to be visually and conceptually in conversation with the holy trinity of folk horror. It it likes those attitudes. It likes those spaces and directions. Uh, where I would contrast that with Hellbender, which is, I, I think, moving towards unexplored horizons. What are your thoughts?
1: Um, I would agree. I would agree. I think it's, I think it's, um, it's kind of, it's very, it's very vibe based, right? A lot of the neo folk horror, folk <laughs> horror, folk horror revival gets pinned back to like to things like Eggers the Witch or, or Midsummer or other things from from. Um, A24 and it's like A24 has become a shorthand label for uniting what are honestly quite a few very disparate sorts of films under one you know aesthetic label under a kind of vibe it's an A24 movie and that doesn't really tell you a great deal beyond how you are supposed to receive it and I sort of agree that I think Folk horror, or the folk horror revival, is is doing something sort of similar. So I would say that this has this has folk horror elements, um, and I think it would be understandable to see why people would char- characterize it in that way. Um, mm-hmm. I I don't know whether I would say it's doing doing anything like so, sort of super new, because I think there is also this other kind of vibe of contemporary horror, which is. Again, much more focused on internality, on uh, explorations of subjectivity, of consciousness, of the psychedelic, um, which mm-hmm. I, I totally think that this film is part of. But I, I agree with you about the kind of neo-folk horror. I think it's. I think maybe it's a sort of. It's a phrase that gets over-applied in ways that dilutes its usefulness.
0: Yes. Yes, I, I would one hundred percent agree. So we've been we've been we've been talking a lot about kind of the formal qualities of this movie, a movie that I, I think I, I was just madly in love with it when I saw this. It was just inexperience. And now that I can watch it as much as I like, I am happy, happy as a hellbender in a bucket of blood. So uh, would you like to help me decide which discourse is which discourse?
1: Hey, let's have some witch discourse.
0: Which discourse? Put em.
1: Uh, which? No, which discourse?
0: No, oh, oh I no, thought uh,
1: this bit could go on for way too long. Yes. Let's talk Welcome about we- let's talk Vanguard about does let's who's talk- on
0: third? <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's talk about witches.
0: <laughs> so, so what do you what do where do you, where do you want to start us, right? Because this movie is situated in, in, in kind of a long tradition of the gothic and witchcraft.
1: There is what's interesting to me here is the ways in which because of the limitations of this being a low budget film this being a microcast film what you can't do simply by virtue of the fact that the space isn't there to do this is you can't talk about the witch as a kind of uh a threat to a social order right so let's go all the way back to Silvia frederici let's go back to caliban and the witch and understand mm-hmm. that like a huge part of um the violence uh, against women and the the controlling and exploitation of domestic and reproductive labor was based upon the idea of witchcraft being a threat to a social order and mode of of exchange right you have to have money but if you can see if you can see the wise woman if you can see the the, the witch you can be healed you can be blessed you can curse your enemies without money um mm mm-hmm. So so what you have to have here, and what you have again in something like Egg is the witch is you have the ways in which uh, you have the ways in which witchcraft is mm-hmm. like it's a new kind of subject, right? Isn't that just they're a threat? The witch isn't just a threat, the witch is kind kind of like a new kind kind of being.
0: What what do you think? Ooh. See, I, I think that this, this is exactly the point that I would have brought up. <laughs> that, like, I, I think this is, this is playing with, with the space of the kind of long history of witches in, in, in such an interesting way, right? Because, you know, intro the movie itself, they're not witches. They're hellbenders. Other people accuse them of being witches, but they are, in fact, something distinct. And, and I think it would be easy to throw that point away as a trite bit of world building Right, like, oh, in this universe, they're not called witches; they're called something else. But I think it's important to recognize that they're not witches. That that witch would be an external uh, framework that we have to force onto the movie. You know, you know, the square peg of the film has to be driven into the round hole of witchcraft. When in fact, you know, that distinction displaces us. Right? We we should embrace that displacement rather than forcing the displacement onto the text. Because that will give us new perspectives from which to look at this movie, a lot like the perspectives that Sylvia Federici evokes in *Caliban and the Witch*.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there is there's um, there's a conversation between them, right? Where mother is talking about her mother, who I think they say something like, uh, "She almost she almost consumed the entire village." Right. She, she mm-hmm. like this is why this is why they were killed, and they're killed in a in a in a very kind of brutal extended opening sequence. Um, and it's like there was always the, the whole point of The Witch and something like Caliban and The Witch is that there is a reciprocity involved, right? There is a, an entire network of exchange. But what Mother is afraid of is the hellbender has is, is monomaniacal. There's, there's only one way. There's only one direction that the power flows, right it's never reciprocated it's consumptive um which is something we can get onto when we talk about how this film thinks about friendship but i think um it's it's definitely it's definitely within the lineage of of the figure of the witch on film but i don't know if it's completely accurate to go this is a film about witchcraft because it might be oh, but oh, not definitely. witchcraft not witchcraft as we kind of like historically understand that
0: yeah 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 and, and that distinction is is for me the important thing here and and i think like we we often fall into this trap in discussing kind of the monstrous where we want it to be canonized you know zombies are a great example of this when we discuss zombies we we desire so deeply and a codified and understandable canon right like oh are these virus zombies are are these uh uh fast zombies what kind of zombie universe rules are we talking here you know oh do these vampires sparkle or are these vampires uh, killed by the stake? you -hmm. know uh, and and that i think creates oversimplification which could be fun you know but it's also worth recognizing that like uh, the, the categorization of the monstrous is often done using things that would be better served as floating signifiers. They, they like moving around, you know, mo- monsters are slimy for a reason. They ooze, you know, one of the things that makes them so difficult to grasp and them so frightful is that once we think we have them in a discrete category and we have them at a point of understanding, they immediately begin to slip through the bars.
1: Yeah, precisely. Precisely. Um, And you have ways in, you have ways in because you have a kind of like semantic code that the film uh, provides you with in its symbology, Mm -hmm. in the references and connotations, but it isn't exactly that, right? And what that does is that it forces you, you as a viewer, to recognize the instability of that canonized category in the first place.
0: Oh, one hundred percent. So uh, well, we're, we're we're talking a little bit about isolation uh, conceptually at this point. Would you like to literally talk about isolation?
1: Yeah, I mean, here's a question for you: Is this COVID cinema?
0: So I, I think I think it's really worth talking about COVID horror, right? Because I, I read a couple of reviews online that were talking about. Hellbender as a COVID horror movie, and in, and in some respects, yes, duh, absolutely. This movie was made and released during COVID. It, it is definitionally a, a periodized COVID horror movie. Um, however, none of the reviews that I read used that as the kind of framework for discussing how COVID impacts the creation of this movie, because I think one of the things that happens happened and is happening and will happen most likely again. Throughout the course of this pandemic that is ongoing, despite what local mask mandates have to say about the issue, um, is that movies have gotten smaller, smaller in scope, right? You, you, you can't have as many extras, you can't have as many people working together as frequently, so things are sparse and trimmed down and essential. And that works so strongly with the atmosphere in this film, and, and no doubt COVID impacts it on a formalist level. Um, however, the, the reviews that I read focused on Izzy's chronic illness, right? her, her immunocompromised condition in relationship to COVID. And, and there's definitely some connective tissue there. I don't mean to dismiss that as a way of reading the movie, but I would push against the, the kind of quick, eager, clickbait desire to start to frame everything as quote-unquote COVID horror.
1: Yeah, because I'm like, I'm not even sure what we're supposed to say COVID horror is, right? Um, but I'm also aware that actually, necessarily, that social anxiety, the social um, kind of impacts of COVID will make its way into horror as a form, but I think it will be at its best when it's not done so explicitly, right? It doesn't talk about, it doesn't talk about, uh, COVID. It just talks about an uh, a, an autoimmune disorder, which means you can't be near anybody. You can't touch anybody. Um, and as one character says, "Well, none of us can any at the moment, right? None of us can touch anybody. What are you worried about?" So it's like I actually I think it's a I think it's a kind of uh, it's a fine thing to do to to um contextualize it in in the historical moment of its production and its release. But that isn't the same thing as going, this is a horror movie, quote unquote, about the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and I get the feeling that if and when horror starts to do that, it's going to be a while before we get like a good for, a good one, you know?
0: Yeah, and, and this, is, this is the thing that I think is really important with attempting to do COVID horror and to find the form of it. Is that like, <clears throat> we're still in the thick of it. You know, totally. and of course you can we're, you can make art contemporaneous. We're too close.
1: Yeah, we too close. But, but,
0: but yeah, I, I 100% agree. Like like there's an issue of proximity here. COVID isn't over. We don't we don't yet know the full shape of this thing. Maybe maybe we're at the at the point of the release and recording of this episode. Maybe we're at the end and it's and it's in its dying throes. Um, or maybe we haven't even seen the beginning of it yet as horrific as that would be maybe it hasn't even really heated up and i Mm -hmm. think that's the hanging question right like the host is discussed as like the first covid horror movie a a lot and I, i i would just just straight up reject giving it that mantle you know it's it's a movie about people talking over facetime and like that's not what COVID is. I mean, we talked about this before in a previous episode, but a lot of attempts to give COVID a cinema narrative flavor have, have been in, less in conversation with kind of the broader shape of coronavirus and its impact on society and how it's kind of both a, a naturally occurring phenomenon, right? It's a virus, those emerge from nature, and it's also a socially constructed pandemic because systems refuse to respond to it. And a lot that means a lot of the, you know, COVID cinema like host host is about it's a it's a FaceTime movie, not not a COVID movie. Yeah, and I think that like I th- yeah, going. Go I on. think this.
1: I think I think Hellbender is is a movie that's made during COVID and thus, in a sense, cannot help but be about it. But I think the best ways of addressing very immediate historical moments of crisis is never to try and address them explicitly mostly because you're too close to it and it's too it's too it's too big right but it emerges organically through the construction of art through the kind of through the 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 idea of cultural production itself um mm-hmm. so you can have you know this is why this is why the historical novel or, or historical fiction as a form has its kind of ideological and political purposes right it's a way of narrativizing the traumas of history itself but when it's so immediate and so kind of like we're so engaged with it on a very granular level. Um, This is not COVID cinema, but it is, you could, you can easily see in it elements of art that's trying to reckon with its immediate historical situation.
0: Oh, totally, totally, totally. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of like, elements to our condition in COVID that, precede coronavirus right like you know like the, the, that example i made with host right with facetime and with skype like there are other conditions that that cause those situations to arise and the, the hellbender on on kind of like every level like you know I was, I was talking about this before we started recording but like the events of this film could have happened any time you know the, the, this could have happened before or after covid you yeah. know the the over the overprotective parent that's uncertain of of the world that their child is living in the, the 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 child who nevertheless will grow and and like like all children like all students like all art it will eventually grow beyond its creator mm-hmm. like like the core grapplings of hellbender kind of exceed that descriptive boundary
1: yes absolutely i think i think this is a good space a good point at which we can bring up maybe what this film doesn't talk about and perhaps given its setting what it should talk about or what it could talk about
0: this is something that i i I find to be really interesting right so um through through reading interviews right like um the the adams family uh c- cinema production family <laughs> the what's awkward way i could have ever phrased that they're from upstate new york right so so the environment that this film is set in is the environment that they're from and like they're, they're, there's a haunting absence to this movie through their isolation and i think there's a couple productive ways to read this we can read this through a class lens right right this is very much nodding to the insular and isolationist Appalachian community, right? That, that kind of, you know, the, the cultural uh, ghost of the hill folk, you know, who, who are stuck in their olden ways and do not commune with the townspeople. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there's another question that this absence brings up, and that's colonialism, right? There should, th- th- this is a present absence. This movie is haunted by a thing that should be there. You know, like there, there should be an indigenous population in, in this environment. And, and I think that, you know, thinking back to our conversation on Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched um, and, and kind of like these, these missing questions in folk horror, right? The absence of indigeneity and American folk horror that's an express byproduct of genocide <laughs> makes its weight felt in, in the silence and absence of this movie,
1: Yes, absolutely. Um and it's it's very telling that it, like it does use the kind of classic oh well the witchcraft is the horror, you know. It's like no, the first horror there's probably a deeper horror here, right? That we could have dug into. Uh, you know, it taps into that language rather than something like a little older and a little more unfamiliar.
0: Yeah, yeah, there there this is this is this is kind of the hanging question in every American, specifically folk horror film, and that's so many of them draw back to Salem imagery, right? This movie has has similar imagery. There's a witch being hung, you know, mm-hmm. who, who who escapes in a demonic, fiery blaze of glory, but like that's that's given to us as kind of the starting point. That's where this begins, and I yes. think I, I I think that that. Is you know, again to go back to our conversation on Woodlands Dark and which like there is a horror before that. It, uh-huh. in, in on on kind of two two separate levels, right? There's there's obviously the horror of genocide and ethnocide and colonialism. And then there are in, indigenous mythologies and religious practices and folk traditions that can be expressed in cinema narrative ways, right? Like there is another folk horror tradition that for the reasons we've just discussed, does not get expressed in cinema as yeah. readily as these ones that, you know, often unintentionally. But that's uh, you know, God, we keep going back to that conversation we had about that documentary. Like unintentionally is still a choice.
1: Yeah, uh, like there's a there's a there's a deeper horror which is absent, you know, present mm-hmm. by its absence, right? And the true horror is that of like the relationship to place, the relationship to a land. Uh, to a land that is uh, indelibly marked by by genocide by invasion by uh, uh imperialism um and the ways in which that that is never addressed directly but is is kind of sublated internally right it's it's between you know the the absence of indigeneity is is kind of glaringly present to use some paradoxical language <laughs>
0: I completely agree with that. There, there there's a void in this movie that is that is just begging begging to to have uh, further further interrogation, further presence and of course like obviously no single piece of art can gather anything and this isn't a negative comment on the Adams family or anything like that. But it's a broader comment on the kind of historiography of folk horror, right? Like, go, yeah, go listen to our Woodland Stars in Com- Days Bewitched episode, right? We get we really get into it there.
1: Uh, yeah, precisely. Um, as a kind of like quick quick point before we start getting into the ending conversation, do you want to talk about friendship? How do you how do you think this um, this this film? deals with the issue of friendship of being being friendly with people what does it mean what does it mean in in the context of like social isolation and this kind of power what is what does friendship kind of mean
0: ooh i like this a lot i think this is a really interesting question um, one, one of the things that I think is really interesting about the kind of constructive shape of this film is that like this, this kind of like our mother daughter duo are, are friends. And, and there's, there's something really interesting about that. Um, in real life, um, the mother and, uh, Zelda, um, so, uh, poser and Adams are actually, they actually do homeschooling. Um, so even that element of the film has a lot of verisimilitude to it. It has a lot of that lived in warmth that you don't get when you have to fake things. Um, so, so there's like that, but then there's also like, there, there, there's, there's a kind of uncertainty, right? Like friendship, friendship is is wonderful. It's great to have friends and make friends and connect with people. And it's, it's one of the, the wonderful core human qualities, right? Um, h- however, there's always uncertainty with friendship and how you approach that uncertainty almost defines how you approach friendship conceptually, you know, but, but because you, you can never know the internality of another. You never really know what your friends are up to, what they're thinking, what they want, what they desire, how they feel, and you either have to let that drive you mad and consume you entirely, or you have to be like, okay, cool, things might get rocky, I might get hurt, but like this is just the way of knowing that is open to our species. And in Izzy and Mother, we see both of those approaches. Mother has let that fear drive her to become insular and, and attempt to cut her daughter off from the world as a way to protect her from uncertainty. Whereas Izzy is, is like, okay, cool, and she has like weird, rocky relationships with people as she attempts to figure out what friendship means to her. What are your thoughts?
1: I think there's that I I completely agree with all of that obviously but I I also think that Izzy is is a really good example of what friendship can be at its very worst which is like this like the ending is like well, this is this is the fr- the friend that you want so much you desire the other so much you want to collapse the distinction between uh, self and other Mm-hmm. Right. You want to, you want to kind of like, you you want to sort of like crack open the, the, the unbridgeable chasm between the two of you. Cause that's always the case, right? There's always a distance between friendship and paradoxically, sometimes the closer you are with somebody, the greater that distance is because there's always a, a, an excess. There's always a surplus of the person that is a, a kind of unknowable mm-hmm. because if you look at it in a psychoanalytic way, it's unknown to themselves, right? This is why, you know people can be like oh i'm sorry i don't know why i said that to you Mm -hmm. right (laughs) you know there's always there's and like there's there can be something very violent about trying to get at that bit which is unknown the very kind of like it's very it's very possessive it's very devouring almost which is exactly the kind of monstrosity that izzy sort of leans into at the end
0: yeah yeah I, i think that this this is another really interesting thing that the movie brings up is that like mother's tension is framed as an externality right it's framed that she she's lying to her daughter about her being a hellbender and having an immunocompromised condition as a way to isolate and protect her because she fears for her daughter however it's actually an internal fear it's, it's a fear of internalities and internal relationships that's being projected out into this external world You know, Mother is deeply afraid of her own nature as a hellbender and what it means to be a hellbender and how hellbenders must live and act. And she's projecting this tension onto the one thing she can, at least for now, control, and that's her daughter.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of which, I think we should probably wrap things up by talking about that relationship let's t- talking about the kind of central pair that sort of uh the kind of power the film as it were
0: yeah yeah so one thing that i think that this this does that, that i really appreciated and that i really enjoyed was so I wrote like this is this is the most hack thing I've ever said in my career as a horror film critic, but I, I refer to this as the carry for a new generation. Um, and I, I think for me, that's because this has a way of exploring growth and development and these gendered spaces without getting too bogged down with the kind of gender essentialism that we see with movies of the carry generation. Which is certainly, yeah, and, and, totally, and not to diminish totally. those films, right, that, that is that is one lived experience, right, like, you know, like that is certainly a thing. Um, but I think that it, it is good and refreshing and interesting to see those same issues played out and explored in a way that takes kind of, I, I, I think, uh, I'll, I'll refer to it as like a softer approach to gender,
1: I, I I think I think this is a really interesting way of looking at it, and I don't think it's necessarily a hack comparison. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I I I actually I actually think it's interesting to talk about it in the context of carry the novel um, as well as the film, because mm-hmm. the novel the novel in a way is is a lot bleaker. Um, and really, if you think about it that way, then this film is about. It's, it's, it isn't about breaking a trap. It's about reversing a trap, right? It, it isn't, it isn't that Izzy finds emancipation, right? Like you come to self consciousness and you, you kind of free yourself. There has to be that, let you know, that you have to kind of form yourself as a separate and distinct person from uh, those other humans which are responsible for ensuring your survival. But this is about, uh, there is a kind of vicious circularity here, which is the horrifying bit, right? It isn't it isn't about the fact that maybe uh if you're if you're old and responsible for younger humans, you may become dependent on them, right? There is that ontological indebtedness at the core of our existence. But this is about that being inescapable. It can't be mediated by anything other than it almost seems that the film kind of points towards a sort of like instinct, right? As he starts behaving, you know, oh, I'm not ready for, I'm not ready to to have my own little hellbender, but I, there's an instinct that kind of kicks in. I don't know. What, what what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I I think this is really interesting, right? And I think like a lot of this stuff in this movie that I've really enjoyed are are kind of meditations on uncertainty and approaches to uncertainty, yeah. right? And 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 there there's in a lot of respects, this this movie is greased by the uncertainty that's in everything. You know, the, the fact that the known is always opaque, that, that there will always be unknown qualities, right? And, and approaches to that uncertainty, you know, change not only how we are, but who we are right? Like, like Izzy's kind of personal growth in her relationship to being a hellbender is, is a way of approaching that uncertainty, right? Mother's, uh, approach to her and her daughter's existence as hellbenders is another approach to that. In and like that, that space with like, you know, not being ready to have your own hellbender, because that means that you are effectively signing your death warrant, like you know there's an uncertainty to that but there are different ways of approaching it you know like at at some point you know like probably knowing full well what would happen mother made that decision you know and then and then attempted to navigate that uncertainty with a kind of like panopticon of control um and and i think like oh my god not to drag us into panoptic conversations but like the 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 floating god's eye that sees everything and allows you to watch everything that everyone is constantly doing you know like like spaces of control and domination and generational tensions are just like so alive in this film
1: yeah there is there's a kind of like when you realize who you are there's a sort of inescapableness to it right your contingency your the 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 stories that we tell ourselves the thing that the 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 self narrativization which separates us from like a kind of like power that can do great violence is very very thin it's very very easily sort of punctured and that brings up a host of new vulnerabilities right it's it's not really necessarily about being a hellbender right it's about the reality of 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 how much of human sociality is about telling ourselves what, what not to do? Mm-hmm. And then what would happen if all of that was removed? <laughs>
0: <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And also I think there's like a, there's like a liberating aspect. There's almost something that's like, it's clawing at the utopian in in Izzy's growth as a character, right? Because like you you have like, Thrown off the the panopticon, right? Like you're 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 thrown off the shackle of like an authoritarian system that was attempting to control you. And now what? How do you live? Mm-hmm. What do you do? Where do you go? And the fact that the movie doesn't answer these questions, you know, and, and like like you know, what one of one of the final sequences that we get with Mother that I really liked is like Mother's imprisoned and like oh my god, like the way the movie this movie does the occult is just just fucking great. But like, mother opens up like an old trunk and crawls through like this dirt cavern, um, and then realizes that she's been trapped in some kind of magical construct created by her daughter. And her daughter's like, Oh, I'm going into town. Do you want anything? And, and mo- mother's just like, Oh, new bass strings, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because it's a, a recognition of the power reversal, right? You know, I mean, what teenager hasn't felt that, that like they're stuck at home. Mm-hmm. you know you're trapped you're stuck that you can't you can't do anything and you know one day you're going to be the one in charge and there is something vicious to that Mm -hmm. yeah there's a it's a it's emancipatory but it's like there's also kind of like a viciousness because there's like in asking that question it's about recognizing mother not not that mother is is powerful but they're powerless yeah
0: now oh totally
1: and that's the that's the kind of awful thing like that's the whole like again in very classically psychoanalytic terms it's about like becoming it is utopian it is emancipatory but there's a kind of horror to it right there's a kind of like as any great change has there's something about it which is kind of both wonderful and horrifying
0: oh yeah yeah and, and to kind of continue those terms like izzy is 100 oppressed and repressed in this kind of mother-daughter relationship you know, like rather than like being, you know, one one could imagine countless egalitarian ways that mother could have approached to this problem, you know, explaining to her daughter from a young age what a hellbender is and how they're trying to like Edward Cullen this stuff, right? They're hellbenders with a moral code, you know, like, yes. oh, we're, we're hellbenders, but we're vegan, wink, wink, you know, like that kind of thing. Um. But instead, mother just creates a magical panopticon and imprisons her daughter with lies. Um, and and I'm I'm, I'm forgetting <laughs> I'm, I'm forgetting who I'm paraphrasing here. But like the, the 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 cry of the oppressed won't always be just, but it must always be heard. And you see that yes, you, you see that in ex- Izzy's exactly. response. You know, like what Izzy does to her mother is not right. You know, she she is continuing a cycle. At some point, mother perhaps will become powerful enough to escape through a series of events or, you know, be killed, you know, the, the, this has to end with violence because it continues with violence. Um, however, in in the shape of that, there is a recognition that a wrong was done.
1: But also, this is the thing that's interesting, because the the film naturalizes that cycle, right? What's the analogy they use to talk about that cyclical nature of violence they don't talk about it in terms of like human systems they talk about it as something like the environment
0: mm-hmm. the earth
1: the, the the weather and the thing that's truly horrifying the the thing that, that is that you go well perhaps it couldn't be any other way
0: right yeah. winter,
1: yep. winter sp- spring eats it, summer eats the spring you know like that's that's just the way that's just the way things are right that and it's like at, at the end of the film, right, the the trap has been re-sprung, the violence has been perpetuated. And the thing is, it's like Izzy goes, I, I'm not ready for my own, but like at a certain point the option is like, well, you will do you will be one day, mm-hmm. presumably. That's what the film seems to say. And I think that's what what makes the ending so kind of bleak, uh, in a really lovely way, is that like there isn't a way of breaking that cycle yet.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely and the, the the film you know mother when mother is finally fessing up to what hellbenders are and how they work um she, she describes them as apex predators you know like part demon part witch yeah. all apex predator and and, and that's, a, that's an intentional language that i think very darkly maps on to like a lot of like far right talking points. And just to be clear, I'm not calling mother far right or the film far right or anything into far right, but there is a viciousness to that mentality. You know, like there's, there's, there's a, there's a reveling in abuse when human, human, humanly agential peoples and systems refer to themselves as apex predators. You know, like, like we can talk about a lion as an apex predator, but a lion also doesn't have a moral code. You know, like, like that, they don't have ethical considerations. They just kind of go after antelope or whatever. Like, but when we apply that same logic to human systems, it's often to grease oppressive gears.
1: Yes, I think that's completely true. Um, I think this is a super interesting film because it raises all of those questions about kind of like uh, maternity, uh, reproductive labor. Um, mm mm-hmm. Domestic labor, without ever essentializing it down into a kind of matter of like cis heteronormative biology. Oh um, yeah,
0: yeah. Like they go out of their way to say that which, hellbenders are asexual. You know, they re- they reproduce yeah, asexually totally. rather.
1: Um. So so all of that is super good, and it taps into all of this really interesting stuff about like what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to kind of like exist in a in a, in a it, 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 in a sense that makes you dependent on others and the ways in which that, that could be, makes you vulnerable, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, like, so like to, your, to your point, I think one of the interesting things that that goes on within that space, right, is that even even in the Vovovich and in, in a lot of those kind of folk horror movies, right, witches have a lot of power, they have a lot of agency, but that power is owed to Satan, right? A, a very masculine figure. Um, at least in most depictions, there's there's a lot of queering of, of Satan that goes on in in the horrific. But often Satan is a man that bestows power onto women so that they can then be witches. Um, th- yeah. this movie, the power is just in them, you know, like yes, like exactly exactly. Mother mother tries to explain them as being like part demon or whatever, but we get the we we get the intimation that that's a, a mother explaining. To their young child, what what a thing is. And, you know, if you've ever tried to explain something to a child, you don't like go through the fullness of it, you kind of sketch a very broad picture so that they get it. And I like that. You know, I, I like that this movie kind of operates as a way of trying to get that same kind of you, you know, like like Silvia Federici approach to witches and witchcraft and and like Pry it out of these these other conversations we'd have to have about the satanic.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So uh, a little bit over an hour now. Do you have any other thoughts, takes, considerations, feelings, vibes about the Adams family's Hellbender?
1: Do 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 do.
0: <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I bet you they're so uh, okay, sick we, of that joke. <laughs>
1: they they must be. They must be. I'm so sorry, but. But really, I think it's just going to have to be something that they 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 reconcile themselves to. <laughs> my my only vibe is I think this is a great movie. It's 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 so tight. It's so well constructed. The editing, soundtrack, and uh, photography are all great. The performances are superb. It's it's like it's just exciting to see a kind of like little collective emerge of people who are clearly like learning together, but are specialists in different things in different areas. Um, and I'm like, I can't wait to see what they do next. What, what about
0: you? I, I, I would just, just echo the same thing. I'm, I'm really excited to see what the next movie is going to be because this was just like phenomenal chefs, chef's kiss, chef's kiss meme. Uh, Hellbender mm-hmm. knocked it mm-hmm. out of the park. So everyone, uh, please stop by the Horror Vanguard crypt. We'll have a dinner of pine cones and leaves and uh, worms and maybe even a guy who got lost in the woods. (laughs) We hope you've enjoyed the Dread Discourse. Until next week, stay spooky.